the point where I was, I never specialized in a sport. I didn't pick up rowing until much later in life. I was 30 pounds heavier than I had ever been. I hadn't been on a consistent sports team for two and a half years. My grades were tanking. Everything in my life was not going right. I was staying up late. I was hanging out with a totally different group of friends. So I was on this aimless path where I was like, I just want to be happy. What does that even mean? I'm wandering in the woods. I'm off in the bushes somewhere. And then rowing, this opportunity to try this sport entered my life. And so all I knew was that I didn't want to be off in the weeds anymore. So let's try this. Welcome. You're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and tips from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or relationships to just living better and with more energy or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Let's go. Hey, you're on air with Ella. I'm your host, Ella. I am joined today by Miss Lindsay Shoup. Lindsay, you know I love for people to introduce themselves and say who they are and what they do. Can you hit us with that? Uh, I'm Lindsay Shoup, and I am actually an Olympic gold medalist in the sport of rowing. Um, Not something I started with from a young age. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But I'm also a coach, author, speaker, and now most recently a sport commentator. I've worked with NBC, a little bit of ESPN, got some more things coming down the pipe. But um, yeah, coach, author, speaker, and Olympic gold medalist. (laughs) Uh, You may have left a couple things off. Uh, A three-time world champion, um, National Rowing Hall of Fame inductee, no big deal. (laughs) <laughs> I guess I sometimes do neglect that, that fact that my teammates and I, when we won the Olympics in Beijing in 2008, we were actually the first to win Olympic gold in any event in women's rowing for the United States at 2000 meters. That's why we were put into the hall of fame for that feat. We were the first. That is pretty amazing. And we were chatting before we started recording. And I said to Lindsay, I was like, Lindsay, I got to be honest with you. Like what I know about rowing would fit into, you know, an eight ounce cup. And then really everything I know about rowing, I just know from reading your book, Better Great Than Never. So that's actually the sum total of my rowing experience. But it's a lot. There's a lot in there. I I learned (laughs) a lot. (laughs) I learned that I don't think I'm built for rowing. That was my number one takeaway. But more power to you and you're tall. How tall are you? A little over six feet. And honestly, I wish I were taller. If I could go back to my younger me who felt awkward in her skin and being the lanky, you know, bigger than everybody kid, I would go back and say, it's going to be okay. And you're going to wish you were even taller. Own it. (laughs) Own it. Stand up. Shoulders back. I love to hear it. One of the reasons I was really keen to talk with you, Lindsay, is because, well, you're an Olympic gold medalist. And so that means that you must have something special. And that must mean that you have a little something more than the rest of us mere mortals. And I want to ask you, Lindsay, were you born superhuman? I was born with big feet and uh, a lot of words. (laughs) Yeah, no, I was not genetically special in any sort of specific way. And I certainly didn't specialize in a sport from a young age. I played almost a dozen different sports growing up. You know, I grew up in the country, bumping around with a bunch of boys, had a kind of a rough and tumble childhood. You know, I learned how to throw very hard and run away really fast. I I have to say, I use the term run fast loosely because I was not a fast runner by any stretch of the imagination. (laughs) 
Yeah, Lindsay already knows that I'm being a little facetious because the real truth of why I wanted to talk with you is because I, I love talking about the power of identity on this show. And I really, really like kind of unpacking a lot of the myths that we create that actually keep us down in certain areas of our life. And I'll, I'll make this make sense in just a minute, but you do a really brilliant job of busting the myth that people who are successful, I mean, a gold medal is the pinnacle. It's a metaphor. People use it as a metaphor for the highest possible human physical achievement, right? And you actually did that. And so if anyone on this earth were to be born superhuman, it's going to be someone like Lindsay Shoup. And your book is, makes it very, very clear and your story that absolutely not. Like you weren't born with something the rest of us don't have, except for like a foot and a half. Like you, you were born <laughs> with a foot and a half that I don't have. <laughs> well, I wasn't born just over six feet tall. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. You talk about how you started late, that you weren't even naturally driven, which is another thing I'm obsessed with. You know, people who let's talk about fitness because it's just one, it's just a very easy example, something that everyone can relate to in some way as a goal of some sort. Because we all have different goals, but it's easier to use examples that are simple and clear to everyone. When you look at the goal of fitness, some people think that people who have a regular fitness routine, who take care of themselves physically, or who are physically strong and gifted in some way, they tend to think that person is getting a dose of something or was blessed with something or was born with something that I don't have. What are your thoughts on that? It is way easier to sit down and stay on your butt than to, you know, like that's, that's a very easy option for everybody. And, you know, the way that I see it now is like an object in motion stays in motion because, you know, for me, and that that's not, you know, beyond your capacity, you must, you know, recover and rest. And sometimes we forget that very important element because sure. that moves over outside of sport and into life. I learned, it's very obvious and you learn very quickly as an athlete that if you overtrain, if you do too much, you are physically fatigued, you either get sick, you get injured, you get burned out, that happens. Well, the same thing happens in life, whether it's too many emails or too many miles run, you're going to sit down and you're going to start to feel really fatigued and go, what's going on? That's, and I'm burned out. Well, the same rules that you learn through a sport apply in life. And so that's something that I very intentionally build into my day all the time now is I need to remember if I'm starting to feel a certain way, listen to those signs. Our, our body gives us so many signs. You just have to pay attention to them. And remember, you can only go for so long for, without rest. That must be built in there. Do ruts happen to you, Lindsay Shoup, gold medalist? Yeah. You know, it's funny, actually, right now I'm in this point where I'm like, gosh, four weeks. Of, I always find that about every four weeks, if I'm not getting enough sleep, then I start to question, what's the meaning of life? Why do I feel this way? It's like, this is a recovery week and you didn't recover. So take a nap. Probably unrelated. Hydrate. Yeah, hydrate, exercise, <laughs> take a nap, you know, spend some time with some people, recoup a little bit and you'll be even better next week. Obviously the past three weeks you've learned from, you've gotten all this work done. You know, when you're fatigued, when you're overstretching, it becomes very easy to overlook all the positives, all of the uh, progress that you've made, you know, at the expense of the, the here and now of feeling tired. And so you have to step back and take a moment and then realize, yeah, it's not always going to be easy. It's going to feel like you're in a rut, but this will pass. Just make sure you're taking care of yourself and that will help it pass. So yeah, even just this conversation right now, I'm like, oh, okay, now I'm ready. I've got all the energy. I'm ready to go now. <laughs> 
Isn't it funny how when we find ourselves in a rut, it tends to be when we're overworked in some way, uh, overstretched in some way, as you said, and fatigued. And it's our first thoughts are still life sucks. This is not what I expected it to be. I really thought I'd be better at X than I am, or I'd be further along than I am. And then, and then eventually you get to the point like, oh, this happens every four weeks or every yes. six weeks. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's always a, an existential crisis. And then we realize, no, it's a pattern. And if you do yes. the same, if you rely on the systems that you've created for yourself, you can use your habits to get out of the pattern. Yeah. And that's where self-awareness, people bring up the phrase self-awareness, but it's really patterns. It's the ability to see patterns. And, you know, if you're not paying attention, then you overlook the fact that, oh, this happens every so often, but in general, I'm actually making forward progress. If I see the bigger picture, if I see that the X happens every so often, or when I do this, this happens. Here's a small example. I used to be able to either walk to work or drive to work when I was still rowing back and living in New Jersey. And on the days that I would walk to work, if I had an extra two minutes, I would walk. By the time that I got to the office, I was in such a much better mood because I got to smile at people on the way. I was outside. I was taking a moment and my mind was just drifting. The whole day was so much better. If I had to drive, I was in a rush, had to find parking. There wasn't always parking. And then I'd run into the office and the day would seem to take forever. Right. So that was a pattern that I noticed. Okay. If I can find two extra minutes somewhere in my morning, the whole day was better. And that also made practice better, which made my progress better. I was just more efficient and more effective. If I never paid attention to how I felt, I would never go, Oh, look how much more efficient and effective I could be if I found two minutes in the morning to be able to walk instead of drive. And that's just one tiny pattern. You say the best way to climb hold on. This is actually talking about climbing. Sorry, that threw me off for just a second. <laughs> there are several climbing metaphors that I did metaphorically and literally climbed things. <laughs> okay. That goes in the blooper reel, but you were talking about climbing and you said the best way to climb was to keep an eye on the ground right in front of me because it was an intimidating climb and also a short distance up ahead. So in other words, you know, you said only every now and again, should I glance all the way up to the top? Because if you fixated on the peak, you would easily become disheartened. Can you talk yeah. to us about why fixating on the peak might not be the right path to the destination that we're seeking? If that's what you're always staring at, right? You're going to, A, you're going to feel like it's so far, like it's so out of my grasp that uh, how could I possibly ever get there? And that's what I thought growing up. The Olympics is always a thing in the back of the mind. If you grow up as an athlete, it's, it's a phrase that you know, and you're like, wow, how could I ever do that? That seems so far. That's the staring at the only the peak. But if you like keep an idea, keep, keep your eyes kind of on the ground in front of you, scan it, pay attention to what you're owning, what you're doing, what you're managing in that moment, that helps you take those tiny steps to see that tiny little progress that you're making. So then when next time that you glance up, you realize that you're a little bit closer. If you keep an eye on what's going on kind of in front of you, it also helps you from stumbling. In the, in the metaphor and actual literal, you're not going to fall in a hole or hit a rock that you didn't see coming. And that happens in sport and in life. Didn't expect that to happen. I'm a big fan of the power of the smallest next step and keeping your eye on your immediate environment. And as you said, managing and taking the next step being observant, taking the next step. And I think that let's say your success goal is 
to be a decamillionaire or to be a published successful author or to have a marriage and a family, however you define success or whatever your current goal is, if we're constantly looking at that peak, then we're, we're never that we're always falling short, right? And this thwarts so many goals, but it also thwarts so many dreams. I do it to myself, but the days where I just get up and do the thing. So the, the writer to be writes a hundred words or spends 20 minutes putting pen to paper, then that day they're a writer. And they took the step. But I do think that so often, Lindsay, we're so fixated on the destination that we compromise our ability to get there. And that's where that whole analysis paralysis thing comes in. You're like, oh my gosh, this is insurmountable. How could I, where do I even begin? When I wrote this book, one of the biggest pieces of advice was 250 words a day. That's a paragraph. And the reason why they chose that number of words is if you do the math on the length of book, just do the simple math. You know how long it's going to take you to write at least a vomit version of your book. Just the blah, <laughs> get the words on the page. That's where it all starts. This book was 40,223 words long. And I wrote that in three weeks after having done exploratory writing a couple of times. It ended up almost three times that length. But where it started was sit down and put down the words every day. And it gradually grew into piece of work that I'm proud of, you know, that had I skipped a day, it wouldn't be here. (laughs) And nobody sits down and writes their publishable book. Nobody, maybe, okay. Someone's going to be like, well, actually, (laughs) maybe somebody has, (laughs) I don't know their name. (laughs) Okay. But I'm saying it's not commonly done. And so I love, I love this example because this is a literal depiction of what happens when you invest just the minimal effective dose for that day. And I I swear you can move mountains. Um, Let me talk to you about another theme that I saw come up time and time again in your work that I think is super interesting because the comparison trap is just that. So Mm -hmm. if you're, if you're on this metaphorical climb and you're looking to your left and to your right and other people are kind of kicking butt and you're dragging, that can be very uh, disheartening, obviously. And again, whether you're comparing yourself to your peers at work, comparing yourself to the Joneses in your neighborhood, uh, you yep. know, whatever, your, your best friend from college who seems to have it all going on, whomever you're paying attention to, that can intimidate you into not even trying. And you did something I saw in you, in your story, a tendency that I think is common amongst people who achieve greatness. And that is that you were willing to be the least in any <laughs> room that you entered. Can you explain what you think, what that looks like to you? You know, I can, I can tell you why too. And I think, you know, when I started rowing, I was 20 years old. So I was in the spring semester of my junior year in college. That sounds so young to us. (laughs) Now that I think about it, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe that more than two decades has gone by since rowing and and shoot more than a decade in coaching. But but, But that was old, right? Right. Yeah. But but as far as, and that goes back to the idea that, you know, I must've had something special. I must've specialized in rowing. How on earth could you go to the Olympics and win it? having started at 20 years old, what do you mean you started in college? Well, five of us that crossed the finish line first at the Olympic games learned how to row in college. So it is never too late, but to go back to that, the point where I was, I never specialized in a sport. I didn't pick up rowing until much later in life. I was 
30 pounds heavier than I had ever been. I hadn't been on a consistent sports team for two and a half years. My grades were tanking. I, got, I, was, ha- I was in the middle of the worst grades of my life by several grade points. That's what was happening to me without sports. And so everything in my life was not going right. I was staying up late. I was hanging out with a totally different group of friends who weren't all necessarily students. So our paths were very all over the place. So I was on this aimless path. It's something I've come to describe as as an aimless path where I was like, I just want to be happy. What does that even mean? I'm wandering in the woods. I'm off in the bushes somewhere. And then rowing this opportunity to try this sport entered my life. And so all I knew was that I didn't want to be off in the weeds anymore. So let's try this. That's why I was okay with being one of the oldest on with this group of people. I had people literally, I remember walking into practice one day and one of my teammates called me a novice or called me a freshman because at the time that was synonymous with novice. And she was actually a freshman and I was a junior. And I looked at her and I said, what do you mean? I didn't fit the mold. I wasn't the standard and I was certainly not the best. And the reason why I was cool with that is because it was an opportunity to learn from these people and to change my path. And it was going to be hard and it was going to be weird and it was going to be different. And I tried to run away on my first day, which I describe in the book, but I was like, no, I don't want to be there. This is a chance to not be there anymore. And lo and behold, one day at a time, I just chased down the next person. I found someone that was a little bit better than me. And I looked at what they were doing and emulated that until I matched them and then eventually beat them. And then I found someone else that was going to pull me along. And the funny thing is when you do that, when you're chasing someone you're also pushing them at the same time. If you're the chaser, you don't realize that you're pushing someone ahead of you until you are that person, you know, and then you have that perspective. But it's almost enjoyable to be the least because that means you have something to learn. Flipping that so that you're now the opposite of it, finding who you're going to continue to learn from becomes a little bit more challenging. Mm -hmm. And I think that that can happen to folks after we've lived a few decades, right, is when you're younger, sometimes ignorance is bliss. Sometimes you plop yourself in rooms where, you you know, if you had thought about it, everything, everything. everything. I love that you surrounded yourself with people who challenged you, who were better than you at something, Mm -hmm. that you were willing to be the slowest, the oldest, uh, relatively speaking, of course. And that is... That, that is the challenge that helped you become the person that you are, that now people are chasing you. And you didn't have that guarantee when you put yourself in those positions. None of us do. I think that this is another well-kept secret to success is to be willing to be the least in any environment. And what I think happens, Lindsay, and I'm interested in your perspective on this is as we get older, we get in our heads. And so we let imposter syndrome keep us, you know, I don't belong here. Someone's going to figure out that I don't belong here. And I actually love flipping the script and being like, yeah, I'm totally unqualified to be here. I have a lot to learn. Um, And I don't mean I walk into every room. I'm so dumb. I can't wait to learn. That's not what I mean. (laughs) But the spirit of being willing to be bad at something new yeah. to me, can equal a much bigger life. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It, it becomes interesting. The first time I spoke at kind of a, a very large conference where people with lots of experience were in the room there to learn from me, you know, and I'm thinking like, well, they've been coaching for this. Well, it doesn't matter necessarily. And the same thing goes for the athlete. You could be in your sport for 20 years and only get to a certain level. The same, it goes for everything, right? Just because you've been in something for a certain period of time doesn't automatically 
make you more knowledgeable than someone else who comes at things from a different angle with a different set of experiences. And so that is something that um, really special to be able to walk into a room like that and have these people who do have that experience go, I never thought of it that way, or that was so interesting. I learned so much. Never would I have thought like, oh, that person is learning from me. Wow. You know, and, and that's definitely something that that goes right with the imposter syndrome concept is like, how many things could I, do I need to learn before I myself feel as though I am the expert in this thing, even though people are saying I learned so much from this. Yes. And the, and the on air with Ella fam has heard me say this before, but you're such a, you're such a good uh, picture of this. I want to share it again. And that is that I think that whenever we feel those feelings, instead of thinking I should be the best at this, or I should be the best at that. I mean, you literally have a gold medal and you're still like, <laughs> am I qualified? Um, but <laughs> it's so human. It's such a yeah. human thing to yeah. do. But the truth is what we bring to the table, what you bring to the table, what I bring to the table is our unique stack of experiences and skills. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. find me another person that has Lindsay Shoup's unique stack of skills because your stack looks very different than my stack and it's extraordinarily hard to replicate. Even when you're in a room of like-minded peers in your industry, your stack yeah. is still going to look wildly different because you've had lots of different experiences. And so yeah. you can learn from them and they can learn from you. But we get so caught in our heads with, you know, what do I bring to the table? How I'm not the best at anything, by the way. Like I said, you can actually claim that I cannot. So every space I enter, whether yeah. it's yeah. triathlon or professionally, I don't, there's nothing I do that's the best, nothing. And by the way, the moment you're the best, somebody comes in 10 minutes later and then they're the best. So yeah. <laughs> good luck yeah. with your superlatives, yeah. right? right. <laughs> but nobody else is bringing the stack that I bring. And so that's the space from which I have to operate. And you talk about how you are willing to be uncomfortable. You put yourself in situations where you you didn't have to have the superlatives in order to try. And that's the message I really want people to hear from you. Hey, this episode is brought to you today by me, Ella, and I'm doing something different in season six. Rather than running ads, I'm just going to share testimonials so that when I love something and I want to share it with you, I'll go to the vendor and ask for an affiliate link or a discount code or something that I can share with you. But I'm not running ads for them. I'm running testimonials for us, if that makes sense. So I'm taking products that I use and services that I love and sharing them with you with a promo code wherever possible at the least an affiliate link, meaning that it's no additional money for you, but it will help support the show if you use my link to check it out. So today I want to tell you about something that I've just started using for about three weeks now, and that is Daily Harvest. Now, Daily Harvest is available in the U.S. right now only, I think, so bear that in mind. But this is a food service where I can arrange my order online, and then a box shows up at my door a few days later. And I am not one for cooking. Okay. So I'm not super interested in those services where the food shows up and you have to slice it and dice it and prepare it and cook it and so on. Like, no, <laughs> I'm trying to Amazon prime my health. <laughs> and lately, uh, with the schedules that my husband and I have been keeping, my nutrition has really fallen by the wayside. So I was actually looking for answers and decided to try daily harvest. Again, they're not paying me to tell you this. <laughs> 
they did give me a discount code, which I'll share with you in just a second. But I just wanted to tell you about my experience thus far. It's been about three weeks now. And they offer about 90 different food items. But right now I'm sticking to the hot foods and the smoothies. So the hot foods arrive frozen and they're flash frozen, which is a, helps maintain nutrient density. So that's good. I think they're organic to conventional profile is I think it's something like 95% organic to conventional. So that's great. It's entirely whole foods and plant-based, which is great for me because I was actively seeking more whole foods in my diet. So I stopped relying on convenience food. So I went to Daily Harvest. I ordered my first box. I got smoothies that all you do is add plant milk or water to them and dump them in the blender and you pour them back into the cup they came in and you have a ready-made smoothie. So I'm getting green smoothies that way. I'm getting cacao-based smoothies that way. And then their bowls are plant-based as well. And they're hot bowls filled with goodness, fiber and fat and vegetables. And they're just delicious. I also really like the portion sizes because I like a portion. Okay. I don't, I am not into getting a little side dish and calling that dinner. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm not going to pay for these little tiny side dishes that show up and you have to eat six of them to feel full. That's not my jam. I like a portion size. So I will tell you more about this. Today's just an intro. I wanted to share it with you. It's something I'm excited about. I'll keep you posted over time. Um, but right now it could not be more convenient. It's been a really easy way. You know, I've added one smoothie to my rotation and one hot bowl of veggie goodness to my rotation. And I already feel like I'm just doing my body so much better. So I have a promo code that I will share with you in the show notes. If you are in the States and you want to try Daily Harvest, this promo code gives you 25 bucks off your first box. By the way, sorry the audio is so bad. I'm just jumping in as I'm editing this episode to share this with you, but I'm on the road. So sorry about this. So my link is $25 off your first box. You can cancel anytime. So this is not going to sign you up for a lifetime subscription. You can cancel anytime. I'm on repeat. I have a new box coming every 10 days or so, and it's been a big game changer for me. So that's what I'm going to continue to do. I'm going to share testimonials with you, not advertisements, and I'm going to get you a discount wherever I can. Today's discount is $25 off your first Daily Harvest box. Okay, link in the show notes. Back to Lindsay. We talk about that magic equation, which I look at as mindset. This is not mine. Nothing's mine. Everything I learned from somebody else, but mindset plus skill set plus execution. That's how you get to success. And if you're missing the mindset piece and you're wholly focused on skill set and execution, which happens obviously in the sporting world quite a bit, but also in life. And I think that's where a lot of us fall short. Skill set and execution follow mindset. There's an order of operations there. Yes. Yes. And I would say, you know, and I've talked to many people in sport and in business about this is that they bring someone on for their skill set and don't realize that their mindset is termites in your house. You know, it's, it's the thing that can literally take away from everyone else's. And you know, for me, from a rowing standpoint, because I wasn't the tallest, I was the smallest person that rode my side of the boat at the Olympics, you know, Are like you I was, yes. So I was relatively, you know, and I, so I was one of the smaller people on the team, one of the, and I was the newest person on the team in terms of the amount of experience that I had up until that point, the way that I went fast wasn't because of what I individually added to the boat. It was what I helped 
get out of my teammates. So if I come in with the best skill set, but I get nothing out of my teammates, the boat's only going to go as fast as I am. However, if I come in with a willingness to learn the skill set, but can also get just a hair more out of my teammates, the boat's going to go wildly faster, limitlessly faster. And the fact that I raced in the women's eight, which meant there were nine of us in the boat because there are nine, eight rowers and one person to drive the boat because the thing is 60 feet long, then that's times nine. You know, it's not just me and one other person, it's me and eight other people. So that's a lot of people that you can get just that little bit of extra out of. There's one other question I want to circle back. I was a little bit facetious at the outset and asked if you were born superhuman. And our point was, you know, you weren't working with a set of gifts or miracles that other people don't have access to. That was not your experience. But I do have a sincere question for you in that vein, Lindsay, with all things being equal, is there any factor that springs to mind when I ask this as to what actually made you go through failure after failure, setback after setback with, with a lot of wins in between, but you, you hit some walls. Is there something, is there a muscle that you use more than your average bear that delivered you to the podium in Beijing in 2008? You know, I would like to think that somewhere along the line that every Olympian out there found so much joy in what they were doing that they just wanted to just be great at that thing because they enjoyed that so much. And it was, you know, and I've come to think of rowing up to the Olympic Games was this outlet for exploring life, you know, exploring being better and and really latching on to just how enjoyable that can be. I know several of my teammates have said, like, I just wanted to be great at this thing that I liked, you know, and, and I, and I now having expanded outside of the sport of rowing and knowing Olympians in lots of different sports that was in there somewhere for all of them, whether it was at six or 16 or 25, you know, however old they were when they started or really started to turn it on with their sport. It was like, man, I can't wait to go back and explore this. And on those days when there were those setbacks, for me personally, I mean, I wrote everything down. So I had an actual thing to look at and go, oh, right, this is a setback. There were all these other days that were great. And this is what I've learned, you know, and that helped me kind of go, okay, this is still moving forward. I do love this. (laughs) You do lots of things, but you do two other things that I thought really stood out to me. And I've seen, I think you share this in common with other, uh, with other extraordinarily high achievers. And one of those things is visualization. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that is not something I can tell you. That's not something that a lot of us do. I certainly believe in it, but for some reason don't have the discipline or something to do that consistently. Can you tell me about, can you tell me about the power of visual visualization and what that has meant for you or what that looked like? I was doing it before I knew that it was a thing. Visualization. I think a lot of a lot of my upbringing through the sports, through the sports, um, was before we really had words like visualization and mental toughness and resilience and grit. To not you just did those things, you know. I know I've, I've come to believe that my memory is a piece of that. That I have these vivid images of things that I hold on to, and maybe that is the thing that I popped out of the womb with was this ability to retain all of the sensory details, and that helps with visualization. We know now from the science that if you hook someone up to a bunch of electrodes and have them just think about 
their thing for, we'll talk about for rowing. If I just imagine myself in the boat, I mean, I can literally put myself on the start line of the Olympic games. That's how vivid my memories of that are. I will fire the same, you know, neural pathways that are necessary to actually physically do that. So you can literally practice the thing without even being there. It's kind of like out of body experience, I guess, you know, you, it's, it's the ultimate virtual reality. The power of that, I don't think can be overstated. And it's so funny. Like I I'm, I'm in the boat with the people I'm in the boat with the people um, who are listening, who know that, but don't do it. And I'm just having an epiphany talking to you, realizing that that's actually, I was sort of joking that it's a lack of discipline that keeps me from doing that. It's not, it's fear. It's a, it's either a lack of curiosity, a lack of imagination or fear that if you really want something, there's something keeping you from even really wanting it. Does that make any sense at all? Yeah. What is that thing? What is that thing? Yeah. It's usually the fear of the unknown, you know, curiosity. I was curiosity. That's a, that's a word that a lot of people have come up uh, that has come up in a lot of conversations that people go, I see a lot of curiosity in you. And maybe that is the piece of, you know, building it through Olympic athletes is this ultimate, okay, we're enjoying this, but it's curious. Could I be better tomorrow? What if I tried this? What if I do that? It all ties in with the seeing the patterns and being aware of patterns, because then you're like, well, what if I tweak this pattern a little bit? You see the connection. So then you make a small change because you're curious about the new outcome. Will it be better? Will it be worse? And you make a lot of those small decisions. If someone wants to try these things, I always say, remember the scientific method, change only one thing at a time. That way, you know what it was that caused the, 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 that made the difference in the long run. If you change a bunch of things at once, then you have no idea what it was that actually made the most difference out of all those things. Change one variable at a time. Well, at the end of the day, I think it comes down to your willingness to believe in yourself and your willingness to believe in the outcome that you were seeking. And I think that can be a vulnerable position to be in, but I want to share your own words with you because I find them very inspiring. And you said, it was only when our coaches explained that we had to clearly see what was possible for us to see what we wanted, that we began to make real strides toward it. Our first step was to change our minds, to risk believing in where we wanted to go, and then to embrace the challenge despite its uncertainty. It was then, with the possibility in our hearts, that we became willing to train as if we could win, despite not knowing if we ever would. This allowed us to grow one step at a time, there it is again, until we became far greater than we would have been otherwise. Lindsay, amen. (laughs) I mean, that takes me back to the first time that our national team coach said that to us, because we used to joke about these things. When he sat us down and said, you see it, put yourself there. That was when it was, that's almost like getting over the fear of like, but what if it did happen? The fear isn't necessarily what if it won't. The fear is what if it does? (laughs) what does that mean? (laughs) And this is maybe, this is something I learned from my big brother. My big brother, he said, you know, when I talk about visualization, you can't, it doesn't just jump right into that vivid. It starts fuzzy. It's not clear. It's not perfect. And then over time, it meant it becomes more clear. There's more color. There are more sounds. The actual sensory details of it become more real. And that's kind of when you know that you're actually taking those steps, your confidence is growing. When your confidence grows, that visualization does become more lifelike. 
that's your brain unpacking the fact that, man, what, what if it does? And creating proof to yourself that you have enough to take the very next step. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lindsay Shoup, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you so much and your inspiration. And I forgot to tell you this, so I'm springing this on you. I love uh -oh. to ask my guests for one referral of something that they are loving right now. What's one thing you're loving right now? <laughs> um, so like something that I'm actually, I mean, apart from exercise, the, the four, four or five basic principles in life is sleep, hydrate, eat well, spend time with friends and exercise, move your body. If you aren't doing those things, the rest of it is not really going to be as excellent. Yeah. As there's no app for that. <laughs> exactly. There's no hack for that either. Those are like take care of hum human me. If you aren't taking care of human me, something's going to suffer. <laughs> you can't drive a car without gas. But something that I've started doing regularly that I've noticed the pattern of it makes me feel better is my frozen salmon from Trader Joe's. And I get the wild caught stuff because it has a better nutrient profile. People think it's more expensive, but you're actually not paying more because you are literally getting more nutrients in it. I see, this is why I asked this question. I love this because you're, you're not, you're not out there fishing for your own wild caught salmon that went to private school and was hugged as a baby. Like right. you are buying frozen wild caught salmon from Trader Joe's yep. and that is working for you. See, we and it's it. affordable. Next time I'll have a better one. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I really sprung that on you. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, another, another one that I, that isn't new that I keep by my bed is Seneca's on the shortness of life. Have you read that? No. On the shortness of life. It is two millennia old. All right. It's, it was written at like the turn of the millennium or the turn of the 80 to BC to 80. Right. And the number of things in there that you read and you're like, oh, it basically tells you to sleep. It tells you to take care of yourself. It tells you to go out and be social. And of course it's stoic principles, but at the same time, you know, it's just a reminder that 2000 years later, we've learned nothing. <laughs> exactly. It's not, it's, it's amazing. And it's only, you know, like a hundred pages long, if that, but it's just like, oh, so 2000 years ago, before we had all of this technology, we knew that we needed to sleep. We needed to spend time outside. We needed to spend time with family and friends. And we needed to take a vacation every now and again. If we aren't doing those things, it only reinforces what I was saying about those five things. If you're not doing those, then it dulls the mind. It literally says, says that it causes, causes a dullness and lethargy. Well, we can all feel better and not berate ourselves for the fact that I have to relearn this lesson every three to four weeks, but yes. uh, really I'm with all of humanity. It's been yeah. 2000 years and we we're still, we're still, we're still learning. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Lindsay, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you so much. And I'll definitely be ringing you when I come down to Miami. Bye Ella. Okay, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, find me on Instagram at onairwithella or get the show notes and links at onairella.com. There's no with. It's just onairella.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for sharing the show. And thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.